How's everybody in the house today? Man, it is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, hey, if we've not met, my name is Joel Eklund. I'm the executive pastor here at the house, and I have the distinct privilege to finish out our series called Where Did You Hear That? Where Did You Hear That? Um, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd like you to please write down, listen with your good ear. Listen with your good ear. You know, as I was titling this, I was just thinking to myself, what old saying would my dad use to title this? <laughs> and this was the one. This is the one. How many of you, can I, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to really seriously consider this. How many of you have, have ever felt like you heard something from the Lord and it didn't happen? Now I'm going to flip the script here. How many of you as parents ever said something to your children that they misinterpreted and then they became upset when what you said didn't happen like they heard it? It's like when you tell your youngest daughter that as long as she finishes all of her dinner, she can have ice cream. And her interpretation of that is, I can have ice cream right this second? No, honey, you have to finish your food. What? But I'm no longer hungry. Uh, babe, no, you didn't hear me correctly. I said if you finished everything, then you could have ice cream. And then, like ice cream, she has a meltdown. <laughs> We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 22. It says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything for this. Oh, if you've ever wondered what the will of God for you is, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we think that God's will is really, really complicated. It's, it's, it's interesting how uncomplex God's will for your life is. That doesn't mean that that's God's plan for your life. It's God's will for your life. There's a difference between the two. You can have a different plan, but the same will. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things and hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So Paul, in the, in, in the paragraph of this final chapter of 1 Thessalonians I mean, he kind of takes a shotgun approach. Like each one of these, like each one of these scriptures could probably be a series in and of itself. I mean, for example, where he says, give thanks in all things. Okay. What about when you're suffering? How do you give thanks to the Lord? How do you have a, an attitude of rejoicing when you're suffering? Suffer well. I know that maybe sounds a little crazy to somebody who's suffering right now, but can I tell you that generally speaking, how you, how you treat suffering is going to determine the reward of your victory. Seasons of suffering are difficult, but they produce something in you that you cannot receive through victory. Now, he hits on a lot of different disciplines, but I want to hone in on verses 19 to 21. Here's a fact. This is a fact. You do not hear perfectly from God. 
That is a fact. And the fact that everything must be tested is evidence that even seasoned voices can mishear what they're hearing. There's a difference, by the way, between mishearing and misrepresenting. Can I tell you what makes a false prophet a false prophet? It's not necessarily that they miss something every once in a while. It's that they have an agenda and they're misrepresenting Jesus. They're teaching, they might be using a gift in the right way, but they're using it for the wrong thing. They're pushing an agenda that Christ isn't trying to push. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says it a different way. He says that we see as in a glass dimly, but then when the perfect comes, a.k.a. the return of Jesus bodily, we will see him face to face. Now, if you don't understand the mirrors of the day, mirrors were not glass. They were bronze. Have you ever gone into a funhouse like, and seen yourself in one of those like funhouse mirrors where either they distort your body to where like if you're kind of a thicker guy like me, you're like, oh man, I could put this mirror in my house and feel pretty good about myself. Or if you're a thinner person, they make you look like a thicker person and you're, there, and you're like, oh, I'm never going by this particular mirror ever again. <laughs> Imagine you were looking at yourself in a bronze mirror. Like, ladies, as you're putting your makeup on, now, to be fair, like, I, you know, I haven't put makeup on since my theater days. But, like, it's pretty important when you're putting makeup on to have a mirror that's accurate, yes? My wife, for example, the other day we were, um, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, and I didn't know this about women until I got married, but she has a, um, what's the stuff you put on your, is it foundation? Yes, foundation. She has two different kinds of foundation. She has summer foundation, and she has winter foundation. Because my wife, like, I, I don't tan. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a redhead, I burn. Um, I, I used to work with um, a bunch of Hispanic guys, um, and... <laughs> Uh, they called me, uh, my nickname on the golf course was uh, Tamale. <laughs> because I just, it was just red. Nothing, nothing tan. If I was a woman, I would not need a summer or winter foundation. I would just need foundation. But my wife, because she tans up, like she has to have two different kinds of foundation because she has to match her skin with the foundation. Well, what would happen if you were looking in a mirror where everything in your body looked kind of bronzish. How would you know exactly what you look like? This is the point that Paul is making. He's saying that even for those of us who are in Christ, who hear from the Lord, who are, you know, God is speaking to us personally, we still see everything through that natural glass. We don't see perfect. We don't hear perfect. Listen, I need you to be okay with this. I need you to understand that it's okay, somebody, please listen to me. I need you to understand that it's okay that you don't hear God perfectly. It's okay. Paul says it right here. We see right now as in a glass dimly, but there will come a day when we will see him face to face. There is a reward 
There is a reward at the end of all of this that is more than just your freedom here. It's that you get to spend an eternity hearing the voice of God. See, we'd like to believe that hearing from God is an exact science, but it's more like an art form. It takes practice, direction, correction, and community. Because like our kids, we have the capacity to only hear part of what God is saying. See, we can impart our will onto what we hear. How many of you have ever done that? You kind of have a plan for your life. You've got things kind of set into place. And then God says something to you, whether it's you know, in your devotional time or, or a prophetic word or you know, you're, just, you're just hearing from the Lord and you feel like what God is saying is, yes, this is the exact path I'm putting you on. But really, you only emphasized part of it because there was only part of it that really gave you the go ahead for whatever it is you're planning. We can overemphasize certain portions of what we hear. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I've done this before. We can flat make stuff up. We can make it up. We can read something in the Bible and completely misrepresent what the scripture says to try and make ourselves feel like, yes, I'm in the will of God. I'm going to tattoo Jeremiah 29:11 on my back. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. You see that? He's going to prosper me. Listen, can we remind ourselves that yes, Jeremiah 29, 11 can be appropriated for your life, but you and I are in a different covenant. Our blessings are not primarily in things. You see, God had a great plan for every one of the apostles' lives, and they all died. And it was a plan to prosper them. Peter got hung upside down. He had a plan for their life. Listen, if the voice of God in your life only ever tells you what you already want or agree with, it's probably not the voice of God. It's likely the manifestation of your own thoughts, will, and emotions, actually. If God always agrees with you, if God always blesses every thought that comes to your mind, it's not God. Because the Bible doesn't tell me that he agrees with every son that he takes. It says he scourges every son that he accepts. And I don't know about you, I just, I don't want to be tricked. I really want to hear from God. I don't want to hear me. I hear enough of me. I talk for a living, man. I hear enough of me. I want to hear God. Sometimes we can make what we hear in the night more important than what we read in the day. And what I mean by that is that believers have a tendency to put their private revelation about the written revelation of Scripture more important than the actual written revelation of Scripture. How many of you realize the Bible means what it means? An allegorical approach to Scripture, meaning that everything kind of can mean whatever it needs to mean at any given time, is not how the Bible was written. The most important question that we should ask ourselves when we read the Bible is not, what does this mean to me? If that's how you're approaching Scripture, I want to gently correct you. Your question, when we approach scripture, should be what did this mean to the original, the original audience and what did the author mean? 
Until I answer those two questions, I don't know what the scripture means. Let me tell you, give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you love that verse? Me too. You know who really loved it? People who were being told in that same passage of scripture that they were going to endure 70 years of exile in Babylon. See, that prophetic message, although I can take a principle from my own life from it, is not something that I can appropriate into myself as though that is meant for me. Because it's not. It was actually fulfilled when God brought the Jewish people back from Babylon and put them back in Jerusalem. And so when I read scripture, I cannot just simply say that God has a plan for me, a plan to prosper me, a plan not to harm me, a plan to give me a hope and give me a future. Those things are true, but can I tell you that they are already fulfilled? Because you have Jesus, therefore you have a hope and a future. You are already more prosperous than you could ever imagine. Because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All of God's promises in scripture have actually already been fulfilled to you. Because you have Christ. Secondly, the term revelation is something we really need to be careful about. Like charismatics love using this term. Do we love it? Every time we read in scripture and you have like one of those aha goosebumps moments where like the Lord says something to you about the scripture and you're like, oh man. <laughs> Pastor Joel, Pastor Stephen, I just had a revelation. Listen. Okay. Revelation is the process of God revealing the unrevealable, or in essence, the creation of Scripture. That's revelation. God gave us the revelation of Himself. But when we have a revelation in Scripture, we don't actually have a revelation. For example, if you go into a dark closet and you shine a spotlight or a flashlight into that closet and you find a pair of shoes that have been in there for 10 years, you don't say, I have revealed them. Revelation, those shoes were not created in the closet. They were already there. Does that make sense? So when you read in the Bible and something comes and it just, boom, clicks to you, I need to tell you, that what you, you're not having a revelation, you have illumination based on inspiration of revelation. You have illumination based on the inspiration of revelation. Have I confused you yet? Good. Listen, I need you to understand that the Bible is not simple. It's really not. And trying to take a simple approach to hearing the voice of God and, and understanding scripture has led a lot of people astray. And it's taken a lot of people, i got to be honest with you, it has shown people, or has caused a lot of people to believe that God is actually unreliable. 
because we're so convinced that we are hearing him on a regular basis that, and, and all of these wrong decisions that we make from that place, it causes us to believe that maybe God is not as smart as I think he is. If you think you're hearing from God a lot, but what, what God is telling you to do consistently fails, friend, I gotta maybe encourage you today, change how you're hearing from God. Does that make sense? Here's why. My children have lived with me their entire lives up to now, and I still have to correct their hearing. Listen, I have literally known my father my entire life. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> and, I, and honestly, I've worked with him for 15 years. And I still have to ask clarifying questions because I want to make sure that as, as a son and honestly as an employee, I'm doing what my boss wants me to do. Like how many of you love misrepresenting, mishearing your boss, doing the wrong thing, and then being chastised for it. I just love correction. I would actually rather do a thing right the first time. And so when I'm talking to my dad, even though I know him probably better than anyone in this place other than my mother, I, I still have to be like, okay. Sometimes, can I, I think I've mentioned this before. My dad has a, a way of leading to where when he, when he gives you a suggestion when he gives you a suggestion most of the time as an employee that's a command i have learned that over 15 years so sometimes when i'm talking with my dad and he's got like he's, he's he doesn't have dad hat on he's got pastor hat on and he suggests that i do something i have to ask myself was that a suggestion or was that a command and so there are times where I will actually point blank him and say, Dad, do you want me to do this? And man, it's kind of hard because he never wants to, he never wants to be like, but yeah, everyone, I have to ask him clarifying questions. I am, I'm turning 40 this year. <laughs> turning 40 this year, and I still have to ask my dad to clarify what he means. Listen, there's a lot of us who have taken for granted that we hear from God so perfectly that we never question anything that he says. We never ask clarifying questions. We never go into community and ask people, is this really what God said? We just take it as like the gospel. Like somehow what you hear in your mind is more important than what you see in scripture. And friend, I gotta tell you, it's not. You know, Pastor Tracy Armstrong was with us, I think it was about three years ago. And one of the things I loved, he, he started going around and, and just praying for, for healing for a few people. And, and there was a couple people who got healed and a couple people didn't. And he said something that, that really stuck with me. He said, you know, I don't have any ego about who gets healed or who doesn't. Because I'm never the one that does the healing. Listen, we gotta stop having such an ego about what we think God may have said to us. Can I tell you that the primary posture of hearing from God is humility? Number one, humble yourself because it is a privilege just to hear from God. 
He doesn't have to speak to you. Listen to this. This is James 4, 6. It says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but, give, but gives grace to the humble. One of my primary, uh, I'll call it faults growing up, was that I was very prideful. And like even to the point where um, my, my dad told this story one time, it's so true. Um, when we moved to, from Okanagan to McCall and my dad became a pastor of a local church there, one of my teachers in parent-teacher conference, um, you know, my dad had been, my mom and dad had been pretty used to hearing how good of a student I was. Like, school was kind of effortless for me. Um, and my dad was shocked because it was the first time somebody had told him, your son is exceedingly arrogant. And the funny thing is, my dad used to tell me, like, not necessarily that, like, he would say it in a nicer way, but what I didn't understand about what he was trying to tell me, he wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to point out necessarily a deficiency of my character so much as to remind me, listen, God resists people who are prideful, but he gives grace to people who are humble. Listen, I don't know about you, but I would prefer not to be resisted by God. Like, it's one thing, it's one thing to, to think to yourself, maybe God is displeased with me. Maybe God is unhappy with how I'm acting. It is another thing entirely to think God is literally putting his hand against me. He's resisting me. Whew. I don't know about you, but that scared me straight pretty quick. See, I'm not all that upset when my kids mishear me. Sometimes when they mishear me a lot, it's kind of a bummer. But <laughs> see, I realize that their hearing has to be corrected from selective to objective. How many of you ever struggle with selective hearing when it comes to the things of God? It's not that I don't understand that I need to correct their hearing. It's their attitude about what they think they heard that either exalts them or causes them to grow or earns correction. Listen, God knows you don't hear him perfectly. He gets it. We know that we don't hear perfectly. The thing that either earns you exaltation or correction is your posture when God corrects your hearing. In the same way that if, if, if my little girl mishears that there's ice cream for her, and she says, Dad, that is not what you said. Because my little seven-year-old beauty, dude, that girl has some sass. She is a sassy pants McGee. And she, the other night, I'm telling you, man, like, we were having, we were having chicken and broccoli and rice. And she loves broccoli, she likes rice, and for whatever reason, she's not a chicken person. You know, but I told her, "Hun, you still have to have the protein. Until you eat the chicken, you can't have the ice cream." And she said, "Daddy, that is not what you said. Hand on hip and everything." I was like, "Girl, I am not ready for a teenager yet. You stop it."
Do you remember that passage from 1 Thessalonians says, test everything, not just what you want to test. Test everything. Can I rant for a minute? And the charismatic community has got to learn how to embrace real testing and real repentance, even in, even in things as simple as hearing from God. See, what I see from many fivefold leadership graces simply reflects what I see happening in many believers. There's a brashness and a harshness and a lack of understanding about what hearing from God is really all about. It seeps even into the prophetic community. It's why you get prophets that say things really, really confidently, and then those things don't come to pass, and these guys make an excuse for it rather than just repenting. The problem that I have with that as a prophetic voice is that the issue, we see it in, in the book of Revelation where it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning that when I mishandle prophetic ministry, it's not my reputation that's being hurt, it's Christ's. Imagine for a moment, it's like co-signing on a loan. See, it's the primary signer that needs the co-signer because they either have bad credit or no credit. The person who's actually putting the most at risk is the co-signer. See, I have no right to be proud when it comes to somebody else's credit score being on the line. When it's somebody else's reputation, I have to take the low road and be humble. How do I test, maybe, maybe this is a good question, how do I test what I'm hearing from God? Number one, does it align with God's word? Does it align with God's word? I'm not talking about proof texting here. I'm talking about the overarching narrative of scripture. I talked about it earlier, but I think one of the things that we do really well and poorly at the same time is we love to take individual verses and make massive, like, like, massive, like life plans over individual verses that probably were not written for us. I've got to tell somebody in the room, the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of wisdom, which is also tempered, I don't know if you know this, it's also tempered by the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. Those three books make up what we call wisdom literature. Why? Because you can do all the right things and still have the wrong things happen to you. That's what Job tells us. Or you can do all the right things and have all the right results. That's what Proverbs tells us. Or you can look at Ecclesiastes, which was written by the same guy who wrote Proverbs, who screwed up his entire life, and find out you can have everything and still have nothing. Wisdom, okay. When we say, God told me so, most of the time what we really mean is, I cannot be counseled and cannot be wrong in any way. I'm going to tell you as a leader, that is my experience when I hear people tell me, God told me to do this. And now here's the, you know what the crazy thing is? Knew me. The crazy thing is, no matter how many times, whatever it was that God told them, quote unquote, goes wrong, it does nothing but harden their belief that how I'm hearing God is the right way to hear God. 
that everything could go wrong because I heard from the Lord, quote unquote, and I didn't bring any counsel into it, did whatever I wanted to do, it blew up in my face, and then I'll go do it again in six months. Can I tell you what I wish more people would say? Like this would be my absolute dream as a pastor. I think maybe God told me. I think maybe God told me. Because it actually leaves the open door for some counsel. Can I tell you why it's really important? The Bible wasn't written to you. Technically, it wasn't even written to us. It was written for us. But the point I'm making is this, is that we have a tendency, we have a tendency to make everything about, our, about Christianity and the gospel about individualism because we're Americans and we're individuals and we love our freedoms. And how dare you? <laughs> like, we live in North Idaho. This is like one of the most individualistic, like isolated places in the United States. We love that every time we read you in scripture, what we, what we hear is me. When actually what the Bible means is us. For example, one of the most misused scriptures of all time. When John tells the church, he says, you have no need of a teacher. For the Holy Spirit will lead you into all knowledge. What is he saying? He's not saying you personally have no need of a teacher. Because if he did, then why would Paul have gone out of his way to say that one of the fivefold graces is a teacher? Like, this is such a contradiction. It blows my mind sometimes that people buy into this. What it means is that as a community, we don't need an outside philosopher to figure out the mysteries of God. I don't need Plato's opinion. I don't need Socrates' input. Because I've got John, and I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got Peter, and I've got Paul, and we've got us. We don't need an outside teacher. Because we have the Holy Spirit to lead us collectively into knowledge. Okay, Acts 21, 10 to 14. Am I going hard this morning? <laughs> After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard the news, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. I want you to understand why this particular passage of scripture is important even in talking about how we treat a prophetic word. Sometimes what we do is we react to a prophetic word rather than simply letting it happen, letting it come to pass. See, Agabus' word was true, but how the people interpreted it was, oh, please, Paul, don't go. Paul was saying, this is what I knew was gonna happen from the very beginning. When Jesus knocked me off a donkey 
When Jesus knocked me off a donkey, he told me that I was going to suffer greatly for him. This was just, a, for, for Paul, this was a confirmation of his destiny. To the people, because they didn't want to lose Paul, they tried to get him specifically to disobey the Lord. Agabus had an accurate word, but he inferred its meaning in his own way. The people didn't understand that Paul knew all along that he'd be martyred for his faith in Christ. Listen, I have, I've heard so many crazy things from people. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Can I tell you what God will never do? God will never go against his own word. If what you think God told you doesn't line up with scripture, God didn't tell you anything. If God told you stop going to church, you should question whether it's from God based on his word. If God tells you that it's cool to have sex outside of marriage or move in with your significant other, you should question that strongly based on his word. If God tells you to take out high-risk loans so that you can have that fancy new truck, you should question that based on his word. God will never transgress his word when he speaks to us. Number two, have I run this by my leaders? I run this by my leaders. Can I tell you that one of the primary roles of leadership in your life isn't just good preaching on Sunday or marriage counseling when things get bad. It's actually to help you to understand and hear the voice of God. Like I said, we have a very patently American individualism when it comes to the body of Christ because we have been sold an American gospel that makes each one of us an authority unto ourselves. That may sound American enough, but it's not biblical by any stretch. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Listen. I'm not saying that your leaders need to hear everything that you're hearing in your devotional life. I'm, su I'm suggesting that leaders are in your life for a reason. And it's not just so that on Sundays you can hear a message. I have seen people shipwreck their lives by moving when they shouldn't move. I've seen people shipwreck their families by leaving for a better job instead of staying because this is where you're in the will of God. Can I tell you most of the time, when people will finally come to their pastors before they make a life-altering decision, when they've already made the life-altering decision. Not when they can actually be counseled, not when they can be questioned, but when they've already made the decision, the house is already on the market, the cars are already sold, the yard sale's already been had, you're already out the door. Here's what I'm not telling you. Because a lot of you heard it this way. My pastor wants to control my life because you live in North Idaho. No, I just want you not to lose your life. I want you to not lose what God has given you. Can I tell you the truth? You will always be the most successful while you're in the will of God while you're in the plan of God for your life. 
One of the things that I hear so often from people who, to be honest with you, have left, you know, left the church, left the community because there was a better job or a better opportunity or whatever, is I, I hear back from them six, eight, ten months later, I still can't find a church. Like, I feel like I'm really dry spiritually. Friend, I can absolutely tell you, I will, I will make a commitment to you this morning. Like, I hope that you would understand this without me having to say this. No pastor, no leader in your life wants to control you. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to put something into you, hopefully. And if it's not in you now, I hope that you're able to grab hold of it. As a leader, all I'm trying to do is get you to actually talk to God about things. Because a lot of times, I'll be honest, a lot of times when you really get down to the nitty-gritty with people who are making a big, 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 big mistake or big change, many of them don't actually have a word from the Lord. They have a well, I hope God blesses this because this is what I'm doing. When you're making major decisions in a vacuum, it is really hard for us to do our job to equip and help to mature you. You guys ever watch that movie, Jerry Maguire? Help me help you. <laughs> help me help you. All right, last one. Here we go. Show me the money. Exactly. <laughs> Have I run this by people I'm in community with? Proverbs 18.1. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Isolation is the playground of the enemy. He thrives in your life when you choose to keep yourself from being in community. Listen, leaders help in the macro of your life. Like, I'll be honest and say it, you know, in a, in, a, in a congregation of this size, not every single leader is going to be able to be in the micro of where you're at. But there's a reason why we encourage people to get into small groups. There's a reason why we encourage people to actually break out of their shell and meet new people. It's not just because we want everyone to feel welcome. It's because we realize that who you get around is going to generally determine what your life looks like. The people that are in the micro know you better. They're better acquainted with your strengths and your weaknesses. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying air out your dirty laundry in every small group. I'm saying that isolation does not produce maturity. You ever met somebody who's like a hermit? Like they really are super isolated. You notice how weird people get when they're like by themselves all the time? I was... Uh, I was teaching a, a class for our impact students the other night, and I was reminded of a, um, during the monastic movement of the fourth, fifth, and sixth centuries, there were, there were a lot of amazing leaders that came out of that time, but there were also some super weirdo creeps that came out of that time. One particular guy, one particular guy in Syria, 
um, became one of, the, one of the area's biggest tourist attractions. Because what he would do is that he built for himself a 10-foot pillar, and he lived atop the 10-foot pillar unto the glory of God. And then, apparently 10 feet wasn't enough, and so he built it up again to be a 20-foot pillar unto the glory of God and just hung out on top of it. He did this for more than 30 years until finally the pillar was 60 feet tall. That was his contribution to the kingdom. That's kind of a weird thing to do, I'll be honest with you. Isolation does not tend to produce maturity. It doesn't tend to produce, and here's, here's why. Because you were not born to be complete unto yourself. And so when you isolate yourself from other people, you're not going to grow. Proverbs also tells us that iron sharpens iron, just like one man sharpens another. Can I tell you that sharpening something, there's a grading process. It's sometimes not very pleasant. And I'll even say it this way. Some of the people that you avoid the most might be the very people that God is trying to use to sharpen you. Can I have our worship team come up? Man, I firmly believe and affirm that God speaks to the believer in many varied ways. I've heard the voice of God speaking to me when I was washing dishes. I've, I've heard him in my devotional life. I've heard him out in the woods. But I also have to be honest and remember that even what I think I'm hearing cannot supersede what's already been said in his word. His word convinces me that I need to be shaped not just by a private experience but by a communal one. This is kind of where I'm wrapping up today, right here. I want to remind you that you are not saved unto yourself. But what God did is that he adopted you into a family called the church. I think this morning... My real, my real, what I hope that you take away from this. Can I encourage you to be humble about what you hear from God? Can I encourage you to be humble about it? Because there are a lot of people who think they're hearing from God that aren't actually hearing from God. But the truth is, is that you'll never know unless you bounce it off somebody else who does hear from God. Conversely, humility is the primary posture that we should have before the Lord at all times. You know what's interesting in scripture? Is we see over and over and over, God actually say things to people specifically to test them. Specifically to test them. Have you ever asked yourself a question when you hear something that like maybe a major decision? Not just am I testing this word, but is God testing me? Is God testing me? Because there are times where the Lord will say things to you that will seem to contradict what he's already said. Well, the two things can't be true. So perhaps the Lord is testing you to see what you'll do with the word that he gives you. Come on, let's pray this morning. God, I thank you that we have the honor of hearing from you. I thank you that it's a pleasure to hear your voice. 
But Lord, I also thank you that no matter if we've been saved for a year or 10 years or 50 years, God, that we do not hear from you perfectly and we always have to continue to grow in the knowledge of your voice. So God, this morning, over every person in this house, I pray that we would develop humility. Man, if there's somebody in here this morning that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that there's some pride there, I pray that this would be a morning that you repent and cloak yourself in humility, that God may extend his grace to you, that you would hear him more clearly, and that you would experience freedom. There's just one other question I wanna, I wanna ask this morning. Do you know Jesus? We always wanna give an opportunity in every one of our services for anybody in the house who has, who has never said yes to this Jesus to come in to this body, to come in, as Pastor Stephen said, to come in through his blood. If that's you this morning, and you wanna give your life to Jesus, I want, I want you to just raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Is there anybody in the house this morning? I realize this wasn't like a salvation message, but if you're here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. Is there anybody in the house this morning? Lord, we thank you. Why don't you stand up on your feet this morning? Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are here in our midst with us. God, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for the work that you're doing in each life, in each heart. And I thank you that each one of us has the access to your voice. God, I pray we continue to grow in the knowledge and the maturity of hearing you. And that we would be humble and open-handed about what we think you're saying. Jesus, we love you, we worship you, and we honor you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise this morning?